0: Welcome to the Texas Conflict Coach radio program. If you've ever experienced or engaged in destructive or unresolved conflict, then you know it leads to broken relationships, distrust, and damaging results. Our program will help you manage and resolve conflict effectively with strategies, valuable resources, and support. Since 2009, our radio program hosted guest experts from around the globe sharing their perspectives, experiences, and expertise while giving you food for thought. If you can't listen live, then download and listen to any of our 300-plus podcasts in our library at texasconflictcoach.com. So sit back, relax, or join the conversation every Tuesday evening. Or tweet us at TX Conflict Coach. Uh,
1: today we have our guest on the show is Deborah Dupree, Relationships That Matter, and she's going to be talking to us about conflict dynamics, identifying your behaviors. Now we invite our listeners today to call in at three four seven. 3243591. And if you have a question for Deborah, then indicate by pressing the number one key. Now for our blog talk radio registered users, the chat room is open and you can pose your question here as well. So let's talk a little bit uh, about Deborah. Deborah is the founder and president of Relationships that Matter, located in San Diego. She is a mediator, facilitator, business conflict coach a trainer and organizational family therapist deborah is the former chairperson of the association for conflict resolution workplace section and past president of the adr san diego deborah possesses a master's degree in counseling psychology and education from the university of california santa barbara and has pre-doctoral training in organizational development and disability management from the san diego state university And also holds the ACR designation for Advanced Practitioner in Workplace Mediation. A lot of credentials there and very qualified uh, as an expert in their area. She's also a master trainer of the Ecker College Conflict Dynamics Profile and specializes in high conflict relationships. So hi Deborah, welcome to our show.
2: And we appreciate-
1: Thank you, yes, we appreciate your time to speak to our listening audience. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what it means to specialize in high-conflict relationships. Well,
2: that's a really interesting question, quite frankly. Um, I guess in many respects, as you can imagine from my credentials, I I sort of work in several different areas. And um, being a marriage family therapist, definitely work in in that element of relationships, but also um, being credentialed in mediation as well as in coaching and training. Um, sort of take an approach to looking at relationships in terms of, you know, basically how do people communicate? And not only how do they communicate, but what does the communication look like from both a nonverbal as well as a verbal perspective? And I like to say we can oftentimes speak volumes without ever saying a word. Awesome. So I see that then because as we talk about high conflict um, relationships, then um you know, one it oftentimes is the very behaviors that we act on that continues to fuel and drive conflict. But there's also another element when we talk about high conflict relationships, and that um, what we know or what we've learned through research and study is that many of what we call high conflict relationships actually do consist of individuals, maybe one or both, who may have some kind of diagnosable, you know, personality. Aspect that um, goes beyond the typical differences of just being a different personality.
1: So, when you say diagnosable, now you're not, and I know that you have your uh, family therapy background, but that's not what you're actually trying to do when you're working with high conflict relationships.
2: That's true. I'm not there to diagnose the, the relationship, but recognizing that. Many of these diagnosable personalities underlie high conflict relationships, then I do draw upon my training and background and continue to learn more about now uh, learn more about what's considered borderline personalities, narcissistic personalities, um, antisocial or histrionic personalities that do require some additional knowledge strategies, and practices in order to deal with effectively.
1: Okay. So when we talk about high conflict, uh, and especially high conflict relationships, what are the types of, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about the conflict dynamics profile, it's a carryover from uh, the show we did last time with Craig Rundy. Well, what are some of the behaviors that you see, and I imagine some of them are could, can be often destructive or unproductive, what are the kind of behaviors you see in high conflict relationships? well
2: um you know many times it could it, it is represented by one person who may be more predominantly controlling and the other one more passive drawing so right there there's a dynamic that needs to be addressed um, uh, oftentimes there are elements of other disorders like uh, abuse or alcoholism uh, things like that but um, you know basically it, it's a pattern of behavior that escalates Um both in terms of action as well as verbiage to where, you know, the whole communication um, dialogue breaks down. Okay. And relationships are very damaged. And
1: mm-hmm. high-conflict relationships, would you say, uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, I mean, they don't start off as high-conflict. I would imagine it takes some amount of time before it becomes, uh, as you define it, as a high-conflict relationship.
2: Well, yeah, you know, in, in many, many circumstances, you know, you talk about the two-year honeymoon, right? <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> that's, that's
2: where it could be at work or at home, you know. And so, you know, oftentimes we're on our best behaviors or, um, you know, uh and so things don't really manifest themselves until we start settling into regular routines. Uh But then also, too, is that sometimes things that used to bother us before uh or didn't bother us before, I should say, um, begin to bother us. And, um, and the other thing is, too, is as relationships evolve, you know, whether it's at work or at home, we, we begin to experience different kinds of stressors, and it's really under stress that a lot of these behaviors then start um, acting out in ways that can be destructive to uh, healthy relationships or more effective communications.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, you work mostly with, uh, what, what client, client group do you work mostly with now?
2: Well, I still work uh, quite a a substantial mix between the workplace setting and a lot of my work, uh, like, for example, bullying behavior in the workplace is actually part of this whole high-conflict cycle that we're talking about Um, in terms of how it might play itself out in terms of um, hostile workplace, harassing behavior, um, intimidating bosses. Um, things like that, and so part of what I do is mediation in the workplace, but also what we call work climate studies to really help assess what is the source of conflict, and, and where can intervention be most appropriately applied. But then I also do a fair amount of family work, and one of when I talk about this sort of niche and high conflict, um, working a lot with sort of our repeat users of family court services, um, people who can't seem to resolve their differences even though they've long been divorced, and yet they still keep showing up um, in uh, in court in family court services, uh, mediation to the courts, et cetera and so um, we're getting to a point now where our courts are simply saying we've had enough, you know you've got to figure out something else to do and so we 're seeing a lot more develop um, in terms of services and strategies to to help these people move on to a more effective life, particularly when there are children involved because those children become our employees of tomorrow's workforce.
1: Well, it's interesting that you bring up the family aspect. I mean, oftentimes when I think of high conflict, I often hear it in relationship to other uh, conflict management practitioners who talk about family because that's where so much of the intense emotion comes in. The other thing that you mentioned about which, which piqued my interest as well is when you talked about the, kind of the workplace bullying and some of the harassing behaviors, especially that can come about whether that's with coworkers or often bosses. And I had a very interesting conversation today with uh, Dr. Laura Crawshaw with the who's called the Boss Whisperer. So I'll have to get the two of you connected because she does a lot of work uh, in that harassment and bullying area, um, and just does some uh, coaching around that. And I believe you also do conflict coaching as well. Is that right?
2: Yes, that's true.
1: Yeah, so, so we'll have to get you all connected there and uh, because that, that's a really hot area. Now, you know, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, we, uh, you're actually certified um, and actually a master trainer in the delivery of the Conflict Dynamics Profile, and Craig Rundy introduced the Conflict Dynamics Profile at the last show, and one of the things we asked the audience to do is to take the hot buttons test. Uh, determine their top conflict trigger and then review the cooling strategies. So tell us let's take a little bit deeper into the, the profile and talk a little bit about the behaviors that manifest when we are in conflict and how do we begin to change the behaviors that don't serve us well?
2: So very good starting point. yes, you know one of the things I really value about the whole CDP approach is is, is one the hot buttons tool, and I use it all the time in terms of helping people start to take a look at what kinds of, um, uh, of things sort of set them off in conflict. And that's oftentimes what we want to talk about is where do we go when we're in conflict because we can all be pretty functional in regular life, but when conflict erupts, then we, we tend to adopt a, a different set of behaviors and strategies. And um, and so with the CDP, it's, I just think it's such an excellent tool in, t- in terms of helping people take a look at specific behaviors and and not just – their own behaviors, but the behaviors of others, and and that's where the marriage between the hot you know the hot buttons comes in and the rest of the um, assessment tool. Um, but you know, for example, I, I, one of the one of the hot buttons that tends to be most prevalent among the general population is around the whole concept of uh, trustworthiness, and that's true for both men and women.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so um, you know when when. You know, we always say, you know, it takes a long time to build trust, but it can be eroded in a matter of seconds. And so, when we start feeling someone's untrustworthy, you know, that we can't trust them, again, that plays us out out tremendously in both the workplace or at home. And so, by identifying untrustworthiness as being one of your hot buttons, then what you can do is um, is by looking at how you're impacted by what is typically you know, felt as exploitive, um, manipulative, or dishonest, um, then the the hot buttons assessment gives you some ideas about what you can do to think about that person and their behaviors, what you can, um, what seems to be triggered for you, what you can also do to start cooling down around that. What are some different ways of, of looking at this that might serve you better than the way it has in the past?
1: Because certainly, you know, I've heard, uh, you know, people before saying, just like you hear the common phrase, they've got to earn my respect, you know, and you hear the same thing, well, they've lost my, they've lost my trust and they've just got to earn it. But that means that that person has to do an awful lot. To gain that trust back again, and sometimes that in and of itself, that testing, that constant testing of that individual's trust, can also be erosive to the relationship. What do you think about that?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, Because again, we we have our own beliefs and expectations then of that formed about how other people, about who other people are and what they represent, and again, if we already have some attitude or perception about now who that person is and that we can't trust them, quite frankly, that's going to cloud our perspective in almost everything that person does. And that's why it does become important to take a look at, how am I looking at this that actually might be getting in my own way of how I can deal with this person more effectively? And so, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the term reframing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so taking a look at how can we possibly reframe this to um, so that it will actually help us rather than Harm us or impair us from functioning more effectively, not only with ourselves but with other people, and particularly that person involved. And so, you know, you you mentioned the word. Well, you know, they've got to earn my respect or they earn my trust. Well, you got you know to be respected, you have to be respectful. And so, yes. so that two-way street.
1: And to extend the same amount of trust themselves and extending that arm or that peace. Uh, twig if you will to starting to rebuild that trusting relationship you know so when we're looking at behaviors and uh, you know i know the the cdp looks at the kind of destructive and constructive behaviors that um, manifest themselves and oftentimes if someone feels that they are the victim if you will whether it's a workplace bullying or they or harassment or some other type of aggressive or maybe it's not, maybe it's, we always assume aggressive but sometimes it's non avoidance you know it's a they're avoiding behavior And yet what often happens that in my experience, and I'm sure yours as well when we're working with individuals, is that there's this tendency to not take a look at an accountability and ownership of our own behaviors, even if we feel like we're on the victim side of things or we're on the side that we feel we've been wronged uh, or that we feel that we're not the problem, and yet we choose, and maybe we don't consciously choose, but we choose to show our behaviors in a way that it can either continue to fuel the fire or to uh, actually um, deal with the conflict in a more productive manner. Are there some other behaviors that we could talk about that that meant that you uh, that really stands out for you in the CDP, both either destructive or constructive?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, one thing I'd like to just uh, follow up with what you just said, Patty, and this particularly plays um, itself out when we talk about high conflict uh, uh, relationships in that um, you know, basically the old adage of, you know, it takes two to tango, you know, so we all contribute to whatever that dynamic is or however that conflict um, transpires and escalates, and sometimes the very act of withholding, uh, when you think you're doing nothing wrong, it can't serve as a source of fueling, and so you know, it is important that we take a look at our own behavior and how we contribute to the situation, even though we may not feel we're doing anything wrong, but, again, legitimately and honestly taking a look at our own behaviors to, to see what we could do differently. I'd really, really focus on not emphasizing, you know, what's wrong about what you're doing and what's right about what somebody else is doing, but instead saying, okay, I contribute this too, and if I don't like the outcome that I just achieved, then what can I do differently next time? and and then then that's one thing I really like about the cDP is it really helps chunk it down break it break it down into smaller manageable steps that people can more realistically and honestly honestly look at and and actually practice with um given the action plan it lays out for you uh,
1: that's a good point. It does have an action plan um now tell- tell us talk a little bit about the cDP as far as Uh, Because people can take this instrument uh, as a self-reflection, a self-assessment, but more importantly, and I think even more powerfully, is they can do it as a 360. And not not everyone knows what that is. Can you describe that? Just take a few minutes, a minute or two to explain that.
2: Sure, sure, yeah. Um, Yes, taking a 360 is incredibly powerful because what it allows um, an individual to do is not only assess themselves, But by having other people whom they know in the workplace, or it could be at home, but frequently use it in the workplace the most, um, also complete the assessment about you. And so, when we talk about 360, it includes yourself as the as the key person, and then it typically includes that person's boss, um, at least uh, two or three peers, and then two or three subordinates. And so, you're getting a look at look at somebody from the person who supervises you, those who you might consider your equal and may work with on a certain level, and then those who actually report to you. Because the reality is, is that you know we do behave differently depending on who we're interacting with. And so what I might present to my boss, and with all honesty and good intentions, could be very different to what I present to my peers and then could be very different to what I present to my subordinates. Depending upon the role or the role I play or the, the leadership I need to display.
1: And actually, when people fill out the instrument, the your the peers, direct reports, the boss, um, it could and it could be uh, friends, colleagues as well. Those, uh, once that report is uh, scored, it's actually that's anonymous for the most part, except for the comments from the boss. Is that right?
2: Yes, that's very true. So, yeah, so, we, so
1: people know that they can feel safe when they're filling it out, that it is an anonymous process when they're putting all this, the, the scoring together to give you real objective uh, feedback.
2: Yes, yeah, so in fact, that's one of the reasons why, um, actually, I said two or three. We, we really prefer to have a minimum of three so that we can preserve and protect the anonymity and so that people, you know, can't pick up on patterns and so forth. And as you mentioned, the boss is the only one, of course, being using that we only have one boss, um, <laughs> it would be hard to isolate that person out any more than what we can.
1: I remember having done the CDP360 myself, and it was, it was very powerful in the sense of, you know, was there a real gap between how I saw myself in conflict and how others saw me in conflict, and for the most part, it was very surprisingly in a positive way. Oh shit! <laughs> because one of my one of my behaviors um, from the CDP that I have to work on that can be destructive to me is that self critical behavior, which is a very passive. A kind of behavior, and you know, so no one can really see that happening in my head. But it's that self-criticalness that can come on if I'm in a conflict, I'm analyzing, I'm thinking about it. And it's like, what did I? What could I have done differently? How could I have handled that differently? And so sometimes I can be very self-critical, and that can actually be a negative uh negative behavior that can be destructive to myself or in my interactions with people. So I have to really self-monitor that, you know, make sure that I'm looking at that carefully.
2: Well, and that's, uh, Patty, that's not too uncommon for a lot of people is that, you know, we tend to be hardest on ourselves.
1: Absolutely. So what is the one thing that listeners, you know, they, they may, may or may not choose to use this as a tool or resource, but what is one thing that having taught this course and uh, and using it to coach others, what is the one thing that listeners can really take away about conflict behaviors in general as far as identifying their own?
2: Okay, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, I guess one of the things is that, you know, recognizing that, I mean, for the most part, we you know we all feel we do things pretty well, and I always like to ask people, you know, do you feel you do things pretty well? And you know, most people are going to say, yeah. Well, would you like to be even better? And it's sort of like, well, who wouldn't want to be better? So and so then I go, well, here's an opportunity because it's hard to take a look at ourselves in this regard, but to really encourage people to to open up to the opportunity to. To develop, And that's what we call a developmental opportunity to really start looking at how you communicate, how you behave, what you're thinking like, where do you go in conflict. And in that regard, the, the CDP is an excellent tool to look at conflict-related behaviors that can impact relationships from all kinds of levels. But so really encourage people to go um, even beyond that to look because there are a number of instruments out there that will help people look at their, their social interaction styles, their communication styles or thinking styles. And in a way, the more we learn about ourselves through all these things, then the more we can improve how we interact and engage with people, and the more we also then have the opportunity of learning about others based on what we learn through these assessment processes. And in that regard, then we can do a better job of helping them benefit from in their relationship with us. So it's well, that's that whole empathy factor.
1: That's that whole empathy factor when we become more self-aware of our own behaviors, but especially once we start to understand where other people are coming from and really start to look at that then it really increases our, our empathy of the other person and seeing them as a human being in conflict and how do we approach it in a different way. And so I know that the CDP, you use it in tandem with conflict coaching, um, but you also train other people to be certified to minister the CDP, CDP, is my understanding, as a master trainer. Is that right? That's correct, Patty. So tell us about your next CDP training.
2: Okay, great. Yeah. Well, um we uh, I do offer the CDP training here in San Diego on um, at my location uh about every 2 months, but we just recently launched an online training and so now the program is available in 3 2-hour segments. Um yeah, and so it's That's live <laughs> but we're using PowerPoint and uh and, you know, so it's a lot of fun. And so that way people don't have to go through the cost of traveling. And, you know, and yet it's still, I mean, there's so much learning that's going on online these days that um, I took it to the next level and it's working really well.
1: That is awesome. So where would they find the online training then?
2: Um, well, basically right now um, uh, it would be best just to send me an email at Dupree at relationshipsthatmatter.com. Okay. And uh, we're, we're finalizing the registration for that with our, our next online um, program coming up in June.
1: Okay. And you can also find, uh, I think they, uh, listeners can also find you at uh, www.relationshipsthatmatter.com. Uh, is there any other websites or contact information you wanted to share at this time?
2: Um, I think that those would be the best ways to, to uh, get a hold of me or call me at 619 417 90.
1: Uh, can you repeat that number one more time?
2: Sure. 619-417-9690.
1: Well, very, very good. So so, what final thoughts uh, would you like to share at this point?
2: Um, you know, I guess one of the the things, you know, when we talk about, you know, where we are with our own hot buttons and, and where we are in our conflict behaviors, um, really encourage people, and I find myself saying this so often in, in the work that I do, take a moment to slow down for a moment. Take a deep breath, cool down. And you probably heard Craig say that last week too, you know, slow down, cool down. Because when we do that, we allow our, our bodies and our mind an opportunity to respond to what is otherwise a natural biological response to either fight or flight or flee, and And because in the brain research on this is fascinating, but you know again, just the very simple act of a you know taking a deep breath, slowing down, not saying anything, taking that deep breath, allowing yourself to cool down, it, it really it allows your your body to biologically react differently than where you might normally go in conflict. And that's one of the first steps then in terms of choosing different behaviors and communicating differently than what you might normally in conflict that otherwise can escalate.
1: Okay, well that's a a great, several tips actually that you gave right there, but that's a great tip. So a lot of really great information. And uh, it's amazing how fast this time goes. Yeah. Um, it really does. So we're going to transition. And, you know, uh, listeners, we gave you the fieldwork assignment last time about the hot buttons test. But if you didn't get a chance to do that, you could still take the hot buttons test that we've been talking about over the last two shows and you could simply do that by clicking on hot buttons test on the uh, Blog Talk Radio Texas Conflict Coach um uh, uh, show page or go to www.conflictconnections.com and look for the Conflict Dynamics profile link and it will take you right to the Hot Buttons test. Uh, it will give you your top hot button and you can look at your cooling strategies as well. So we want to thank uh, Deborah again for joining us on the show. You can again find her at RelationshipsThatMatter.org. Um, As far as future dates and events, the Texas Conflict Coach uh, airs every two weeks for one-half hour. Our next show is May 13th at 5.30 Central Standard Time. Uh, The Texas Conflict Coach will be having a conversation, actually, with the Project Navigator Angie Woodrow of Parent-Driven Schools on the topic of conflict management with parents in schools, and you can listen live on that Blog Talk Radio show, uh, again, Wednesday, May 13th, and that show is at 2 p.m. You can go to blogtalkradio.com and look at parent driven schools so that interview will be wednesday may 13th at 2 p.m. central standard time followed by our regular show at 5:30 central standard time so i really really appreciate deborah you taking the time to be with me today and for sharing with our listeners your expertise and wisdom
2: well thank you so much patty really enjoyed being uh, on your show and, and uh, thank you for the opportunity
0: thank you for listening to the texas conflict coach We hope you've enjoyed the program. You can find over 300 podcasts archived to listen at your own convenience at TexasConflictCoach.com or download the podcast at iTunes or Stitcher Radio. To learn about upcoming radio programs and resources, sign up for our monthly e newsletter.